This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a special guest, the founder of Field Ethos, Jason Vincent, with me here today. Jason, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing doing really good, actually. So I have to admit, one of the questions I get a lot is, hey, where did you meet Jason Vincent at? And I'm like, well, would you believe if we were camping behind somebody's house in New York in the middle of COVID? Would would you believe me? That's, that's like, <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's... Which was, it was also like just a really fun, random group of people we were camping with, too. It was. It was. So... Um, I guess I don't know if we can get you. You'll know better than I. Can we actually say where we were at? Yeah, yeah. We were at um, Don Trump Jr.'s uh, cabin um, in the mountains of New York, um, camping out in the backyard, um, just kind of goofing off for a couple of days. Yeah, literally shooting guns and having a good time with a good group of people. It was, I look back, that was. We like, even had cannons, remember? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I definitely remember the cannons black powder cannons and Don and Eric, uh, you know, going kind of head to head in some long range shooting. It was, it was a good time. It was a good time. I actually hope we can do that again. That was like, if you look at a three day like break, especially being in the middle of COVID, like that was highly needed on my side. I guess it was necessary. Say. It was, it, it was, was necessary. Like you, you drove there. I remember that yep. you drove there. Um, I drove there. So we came like some, we kind of came from all over, the country to get there we just all picked up and drove there with their camping gear and then um you brought a bunch of uh gun works rifles yep. um which was you know we we're all excited to do some long-range shooting and uh i've known about gun works rifles for a long time but actually that was my first time shooting one um and so we had um we had just really like really cool like fly fishing, long range shooting, hanging out around the campfire, goofing off and shooting some of the best rifles in the world. So it was cool. Yeah, it was a good good time. So it's actually been it's been a while since I've seen you in person cuz I obviously was shows shut down and then I didn't didn't make it to the shows this year because I was coaching my daughter's team. 
Um, yeah. how's everything been? I know like I'm watching you guys at field ethos. I mean, obviously you guys have been busy. It looks like you've been growing like crazy, but before we get into that, like how's your personal life? How's everything going? Dude, things are good. Um, my wife and I are wrapping up, um, construction on, uh, our new house here. Uh, we moved during COVID to Northeast Georgia up in the mountains. Okay. And, um, and so we have been living with our, with my in-laws for a while. <laughs> and when I tell people that they're like, Oh man, that has to be terrible. Actually, it's been awesome. Like my in-laws are really cool. Like one of the reasons I wanted to move up here, um, is cause I just, I love them and they're super involved with our family, but, um, man, it's been really cool. We're going to move into our new house here, uh, soon. And, um, I'm not going to have backup with, you know, as much yeah. backup with the kids and me and my wife will be back on our own with these monster children of ours. So how, um, how close will you be to your in-laws still close enough that they can, they can oh, help out? Dude, yeah. We could ride a golf cart to their house. So oh, like, perfect. uh, as the crow flies, uh, I'm not even a mile. So as, uh, I, some people know, some people don't, I actually only live 75 yards away from my parents where we built. Oh, one, really? Yeah, I, I think I did know that. I yeah. think y'all are like, y'all are, y'all are on kind of a big family piece of property, yep. right? Yep. Yep. We, uh, we moved from one side of the County to where we were literally neighbors. And then, uh, I built a house on the other side of the County over here. And next thing I know they were building a house right next to me. So it, that's it, cool with young kids though. Like it's so nice because if I, somebody has got to run the kids to school and, and my wife and I are both gone or doing something, my mom will snag them or if we're running late from a meeting, she'll snag them from school, bring them to practice and have family it, dinner it is, a couple times a week. It's a true luxury. Yes, it is. If people like, one, you have to get along with your parents or your in-laws and not mm-hmm. everybody does. And I get that. Um, but two, like if you do, um, and you know, they're, you're lucky enough to have them close enough and be really involved with you and your kids, man, it is a luxury that people, um, can't imagine if, if all the stars align and it works out like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. Um, excited about the new house being done, but other than that, yeah, field ethos is growing. Um, you know, we're, we're very busy. Uh, I'm hunting less than ever before. Um, <laughs> because, uh, because we're just busy. I'm sure I know you can relate to oh, that, yeah. you know, like y- you, you hunt a lot. Um, but probably if you left the outdoor industry, you would hunt a lot more. That's a true story. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hunting less than ever before, but I'm still like, I'm, you know, I'm a, a lot of my, I'm, I'm able to scratch a bunch of creative itches and still go on some fun trips with friends. Um, but the days in the field are less, uh, but you know, we're getting, getting this thing to a place and we're, we're, we're getting staffed up with some, with a really cool team of, of people at field ethos to where, um, we'll be back into the field, uh, more over the next couple of years. So, um, it's just growing pains, but good, fun, growing pains. Yeah. That'll be fun to, I mean, it's been fun to watch you guys grow. So how did I, do you have the traditional, how you got into the outdoors fishing and hunting? Was it, was it your dad that got you in or how did you get into the outdoors? Um, so really it was, it was really my granddad. Um, you know, my dad grew up, uh, bird hunting with, with, uh, his dad and, um, but, you know, by the time I came along, my dad was, was, you know, he'd fish, he fish, he would fish some, but, um, zero hunting. Uh-huh. Um, so, but my, my mom's, it was actually my mom's stepdad. Um, my mom's dad and my mom's stepdad were both, uh, outdoorsmen, uh, both big time hunters and anglers. Um, and so, 
the my outdoor influence really comes from my mom's side of the family. Okay. Um, and my grandfather was actually the um, pre-World War II was a trapper, um, a, uh, a commercial trapper. And then uh, after the war, um, he entered he, he entered more of a, a traditional workforce role um, and uh, still still hunted a lot. He and he and his brother. So. Um, they, he was, he was my biggest influence. He actually, uh, printed national geographic magazine. So, uh, wow. I grew up with him as my outdoor influence, uh, and him as my adventure, my kind of my adventure influence as well. Um, so he was just a really, really cool dude. Um, like seventh grade education, but like the wisest man I've ever met. Street smart. He lived, just he lived the world, just street smart, lived the world. Like you know, came from the, you know, in my opinion, the greatest generation of men to ever exist. Um, and at least the greatest, greatest American, uh, greatest American generation, um, in my opinion. And, mm. and, um, just really cool dude. Yeah. He, he, he got me in the outdoors. Um, I was at a reloading bench with him sitting on his lap, uh, pulling the lever on the rock chucker to seat bullets when I was four years old, you know? So like my, my education into, hunting, fishing, and shooting started when I was four. And like, I just gravitated towards him and that, that lifestyle, um, from, you know, as early as I can remember. That's awesome. So when you were, when you were younger, where where was home for you when you were growing up? Which state were you in? Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was very fortunate, um, to be raised in a perfect setting for, um, a Southern outdoorsman. So, um, it, some people listening may have heard of Boone Hall Plantation. Uh, it's kind of a famous Southern plantation in Charleston. Um, they filmed part of Gone with the Wind there. Um, and we had a pretty narrow saltwater creek that separated our house from Boone Hall Plantation. Their co- what they call the cotton dock um, was right across the creek from our dock. Um, so I grew up uh, on saltwater um a tidal Creek and, uh, um, had access to that from, you know, the time that I was born. Um, and we right next door was a huge, uh, County park. This was like, this was kind of undeveloped area. So I had just free reign of, um, just massive amount of land, uh, out there and, and just pretty much stayed outside all the time. Uh, sun up to sundown. My dad, my dad uh, gave my brother and I a Nintendo and a color TV for Christmas yeah. uh, the year that the Nintendo came out. Um, and then about a week later, we came home and it was gone. Um, and we asked, you know, hey, where's the Nintendo? And he said, hey, I gave it to your cousin Kenny because I heard you, you and your brother arguing over it. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, when are we getting it back? And he's like, let me explain what gave means, uh, because you were never getting it back. <laughs> um, so we never, we, we, we did not grow up inside playing video games. We just Charleston, South Carolina on the water, playing outside, you know, running around boys being boys kind of thing in a, in a real picturesque area. That's awesome. There's a big date coming up in June for the tag applications. That's June 14th. The state of Arizona has its deer, sheep, fall bison, and fall turkey. Everybody knows Arizona has giant deer and even bigger sheep. So if you're looking to get applied for this, make sure to give the team at WTA a call. So my wife and I, we take a a trip every year for our anniversary. It's usually a long weekend. 
And ironically, this past year, we went to Charleston for the first yeah. time. I'd never been there before. Uh, awesome town, actually. It is cool. Oh, man, it the history cool. and everything there. It is. It's, you know, the first first shots of the Civil War were, fire, were fired there. Um, a lot of history. One of the original 13 colonies. Um, you know, just a great Southern culture. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very uh, rooted in history. Um, you know, the, the history of Charleston is as old as, is as old as the history of the United States. So, um, it's, it is a cool place and it's a, it is a beautiful place to visit. Um, it's consistently ranked as one of the top 10 places to live in the United States every year. Uh, usually it makes the top five, uh, along with that comes, um, you know, overdevelopment yep. and a massive amount of people moving to the area. So it's not the same Charleston as it was when I grew up there. Um, and I love going back to visit, but I, but I could never move back. There's just too many people there now. Um, but it is beautiful. I would recommend it. Anybody that has the opportunity to go visit Charleston should take it. I could definitely see that the amount of development as far as, uh, apartments, condo complexes and so forth on the outskirts. Like you could just tell the town keeps getting larger (laughs) by expanding outward. Just the true definition of sprawl, urban sprawl. And, um, but one thing, you know, there's, there's one thing that I, that I always like to mention when I'm talking about Charleston as somebody who's never been there is the, the, uh, the culinary scene there, the food. And there, if, if you like Southern food, there is no better place, uh, in the country to go experience true, um, Southern food at the highest levels. Uh, Charleston is known for being a foodie city for, the Southeast and, and it is the number one spot in the country for experiencing Southern food for sure. Oh, I definitely second that the food there. It was amazing. We had a, we had a great time there actually. Yeah. So as you were, if you, if you think back now to your, your childhood, do you have a favorite outdoor memory, hunting, fishing? Like what, what's that one that you think of all the time? And then as your kids get older, like, like I, I know I think of some when I was growing up and what it really changed my life or kind of gave me the direction, the path that I wanted to go. And I kind of look at my kids growing up now and what I can do to, to try to get them one of those moments. Like they'll look back to that and think about it for the next 30, 40 years. Like what, do you have one of those moments from when you were growing up? I'm not sure I would, I would have one that I could say this was the moment there is kind of a collection of, of moments that really, um, I can, I can kind of illustrate for you that, uh, I would say led me to just, you know, always being in love with the outdoors and things that way, things that I can recreate for my children that I think are great ways to, um, to get them to fall in love with mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, as, as dads and, and sportsmen, we want our kids to, to be the future of, of what we love. And it's not, it's not easy to, uh, it's not always easy to get them there. Um, sometimes you have to push a little bit, especially with all the technology mm-hmm. that kids have these days. Uh, sometimes you do have to have to encourage it and push it along a little bit. Um, and there are a couple of things from growing up that made a big impact on me. And, um, and it's, I think maybe I can offer a different perspective than most, uh, than, than some people, uh, when it comes to introducing the outdoors to your kids and growing up, I, there were a few things that, that I really loved, uh, doing, um, and it kind of combines fishing and hunting. So there, um, flounder gigging is a lot of fun. Um, flounder gigging at night is a great activity to take your kids because you don't have to be quiet. Um, you're pushing the boat along, uh, you know, at, at, at a certain tide, 
uh, with lights that are shining down in the water. Um, and you're, you're pushing really slow and you are looking for flounder, uh, as they're laying on, uh, on the bank. Um, and you know, just, they're usually in a foot of water or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's hunting and fishing, you know, you're hunting for fish. Um, and you're using a gig, which is, um, like a trident spear. Um, and you know, you have to be careful because there's a slot size, a slot limit there. So you don't want to kill fish that aren't going to be in the slot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it, it's kind of technical, but you can talk the whole time. You can explain it to your kids. It's fun because you're out there at night with these super bright lights and they get to stab these fish. Um, and it's very social. It's not like yep. you're putting them in a deer stand and telling your kids to shut up all day, you know, like, mm -hmm. Hey, stop moving or Hey, be quiet. Like I have found it, it, it leaves for me the, the more like the, the ways growing up hunting and fishing that I could, I could be a kid and not have to sit super still and ask questions and stuff like that. Those were my fonder memories of hunting. It's the, and, and fishing. It was the, the times when I felt like I was screwing it up for somebody else by asking a question or squirming around or whatever that were almost like, you know, those were, those were less fun. I mean, I still love doing them and I still asked to go do those things when I was a kid, but uh, the more fun uh, trips were like flounder gigging, shrimping, um, shrimping is a really fun group activity at night in the low country. Um, and then, um, another thing that I would say is, is kind of a hybrid between fishing and hunting, uh, is sight casting for redfish, uh, on, on a shallow water flat, um, to where you can pull into an area and you see, you know, kind of it, it, the perfect storm has to really occur weather wise, tide wise, everything. Um, but when it, when it hits, like you'll push yourself into a flat, um, and there's nothing but redfish tails sticking up in the air out of the water there, you know, it's called tailing, you know, tailing. And, and when you can get into an area where you're literally looking at a bunch of tails sticking up in the air, um, and, and you are sight casting to big redfish, you are, you know, you're hunting at that point, you're hunting big redfish. And, um, and that is a ton of fun. And, and you do have to be a little bit stealthier when you're when you're doing that than than you do but those things growing up were a lot of fun to me you got to mix both of those things in and then even deer hunting the way i was introduced to it was very social you know we it, there were dog drives you know you're running hounds mm -hmm. and you're riding around in trucks and on four wheelers with cb radios and um you know you're talking to people and it's a it's a way more social way to deer hunt than than sitting in a stand um so i i like to encourage my kids in those social settings like let's go dove hunting or let's go do something where you can talk and move around and you're not gonna you're not gonna feel like you're screwing stuff up and yep. i'm not gonna fuss at you for doing it um you know so and those were those were the things growing up that i feel like um made hunting fun memories instead of stressful memories yeah. and i think that's important you know um to uh, like you want every every introduction into a new thing to be a win for you and your kid. And one of the best ways to do that is to make it as social as possible and as fun as possible. And those are some really cool memories that I had was doing those things. Um, what? so yeah, uh, just social and no pressure. Yep, know? exactly. And I was, there are a couple things. Well, the first thing I obviously realized when, when you were talking there is I clearly classify as a northerner because I had never heard of uh, flounder gigging. I've heard of shrimping before, but actually never 
never partaken in that one in the uh, the deer hunting with dogs. Definitely southern activities versus versus the northern activities here. But one of the things that I get asked a lot, um, just by by a lot of parents mm-hmm. knowing that my kids are in the outdoors, is how much time do you take them in the outdoors, like with the schedule? And and I think everybody assumes that I actually have them probably in the outdoors a lot more than what I do. But yeah. like I, I take my youngest daughter, Shelly, pro- probably of my three kids, the one that loves the outdoors more, loves hunting, um, loves fishing, but loves it. But she's 12 and like a 12 year old yeah. in today's world. I mean, she's between uh, currently right now, she's in four different sports, two travel teams, four different yeah. sports. And just being realistic, I'm a 12 like, year old and I'm, I'm in the same boat, dude, cheerleading and volleyball. Yeah. And I, and I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, a 12 year old in, in four different sports. It, there are weeks that we just can't get out because she's got practice six days a week and, and she wants a day to rest. And I can't argue with having her rest literally after she's at practices after school for four to six hours, depending on what day it is. So I, yeah. I, I pick and choose. Like I, I like the youth season here in Michigan. I like the youth season in Kentucky because it's early, a high chance of success. It's usually just an afternoon hunt. Like we don't hunt, I'm, I don't hunt the mornings that early. So it's, a social event early in the day prepping for it and then going out knowing it's not going to be an all day type of sit. Like I, I really cater. And when I know I can get her attention, I focus solely on her for that time period that we're out knowing I'm not going to be able to get her for a three day weekend. It's just impossible with her schedule. And at the same time, some of those days, especially hunting deer can be long and boring. Just being a hunter, some yeah. of those, especially early season, because it's hot and you don't have the deer chasing. And and I really focus on when I get her outdoors is that she has a positive experience. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to have the, hey, you got to be quiet, you got to be quiet, like that that level of pressure that yeah. you said. It's a lot for a kid, especially in today's today's world, because not everybody at her school hunts or fish. Now she's got a, we live pretty rural, so there's a large number there, but there's still some that, that don't have that opportunity to get out. So whenever we can get one of her friends to come with us even better because it's an introduction and you can tell us it's not about hunting at this point. It's about education, learning and, and her and her friend having fun is what it's all about. So if I, I look at, if I can get Shelly outside hunting or fishing for basically 12 to 14 days, now these aren't full days, but 12 to 14 days a year at her age are great. Cause I remember being that age in school and being busy, especially when you get into high school, you're even busier. And then all of a sudden you get to college and I mean, now you got a little bit more free time. I hunted a lot during college, but that, that middle school, high school on kids is tough. So just like focus on when yeah. you can get them out and have a positive experience. I think like defining success, uh, before you go to like, what, what is, what is success yep. with my kid right now in hunting? And to me, it's like one, they had a good time. Um, two, we didn't fuss at each other. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a, a completely positive experience experience three we did better with like our stealth and stuff like that than we did the last time um you know and when so i have a daughter and two sons my daughter's 12 uh, my middle son is eight my youngest son is five he'll turn six soon um and my youngest son is 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 he'll be going on his first deer hunts this year and and my middle son started when he was five but there I, i call them deer hunts but really it's more, it's really not a hunt. And I don't tell them that it's more acclimation to what deer hunting is like Warren, my middle son, you know, one of my favorite videos, um, I took him, uh, behind the house and, uh, we got in a ground blind and, um, and you know, we had these deer patterned on trail cameras. I mean, it's just, 
this was like a, a, a meat factory mm-hmm. behind the house. Um, and he, he quickly fell asleep. Um, you know, he had his face mask on, he fell asleep, started snoring. And, um, and so I, I started videoing him and then I woke him up while I was videoing him and I said, Hey buddy, what happened? And he said, my eyes got wobbly. Like his <laughs> eyes started getting wobbly. So he got tired. He fell asleep. Yep. And so then I was like, Hey, let's just go to the house. And he's like, okay, cool. So, you know, it's like, that was a 30 minute hunt. And yep. I like those short, quick hunts. Um, okay. Yeah. We saw, we saw a deer. We didn't shoot it. We just went out there for a little bit. As soon as you started getting fidgety, um, I didn't fuss. I just said, Hey, let's go back and play at the house or something. And so, yeah, I like, I'm still managing that for my kids. And, um, you know, my father-in-law and I were, um, you know, we were talking recently about the the right age to really get the boys serious about deer hunting. And we both agreed it was 10 years old. He mm-hmm. did that with my brother-in-law. Um, I was probably doing it too early. I was, you know, standing on a dirt road with a 20 gauge shotgun full of buckshot when I was, you know, by myself without an yep. adult standing there with me when I was like 10 years old, you know, and that's, that's not ideal. I don't see that as being the right way to do it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And all that, that, that are, that's how we're doing at like at 10 years old. That's a, that's a tough age because probably you really wanted, you wanted to be standing on that dirt road with, with the shotgun full of buckshot, but the chances. Oh, of, I thought I was ready. Oh yeah. The, the chances of success, like the chances of success in that situation are so low. Um, like, and there's some things that could go wrong there. Like, and I completely agree. Like what's the, what's the right age to really get serious? Like that 10 is, is the right age, but like each, each kid's different. Like some, some kids, it may not be 10. Like you gotta, you gotta judge and be like, maybe it's 11, 12 for some, but no, that's interesting. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I certainly, I certainly don't recommend that, um, on the dog drive, put a 10 year old out there with a shotgun, but, but that was me. That was me. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit Leopold.com. So let's dig into the field ethos, and I have to admit, I'm extremely interested once once we dig in here because these are questions i've never asked you before like we've always talked about how things are going but like what gave you the idea for field ethos what was it like has it been one that's been kicking around for a while was it something that came overnight like what gave you the idea so um when i was working with sporting classics um which is i think one of the top magazines in our industry for sure Mm -hmm. um it it is really cool. It's a really cool lifestyle magazine. Um, the demographic is just far more mature than most. I mean, um, I like to say, you know, 65 until you die. That's, that's the reader. Um, when really it should be the, the reader for sporting classics should be 
25 until you die. Um, uh, mm-hmm. because they, the articles in sporting classics are just so good. Um, and it is more of a classic sporting lifestyle, um, type of offering. Uh, and when I was there, I just felt like, um, it wasn't the, maybe the right brand didn't have the right voice to reach the 25 to 55 crowd, mm-hmm. uh, me, which is me, you know, and, and was me at the time. Um, and I also felt like, you know, everybody was playing it way too safe. Um, you know, it's like just being way too P way too PC, way too safe, mm-hmm. watering down what we do, sanitizing everything we do so that we don't piss people off. And that's just not me. I've always been a very unfiltered person. Um, my, my, my brother thinks my older brother thinks it's just the funniest thing. Like he, he calls me an immovable object because mm-hmm. like, I just, I will not change. I will not, um, water down who I am or, or how I interact with you or what I talk about or the, the stances that I take. I'm not going to water them down for anybody. Yep. I'll be respectful, but I'm not changing. I'm not changing the way I communicate or who I am. Um, and so, you know, I felt like things were just headed, headed in the wrong direction in our industry, um, you know, as a whole, not, and, and, and obviously that's basically like the average of our industry is heading yep. in the wrong direction. Not everybody. Um, but, but the general direction is changing and I didn't like it and I don't like it. And, um, and so, you know, Don and I were on a hunt together and we were discussing the same thing. And, um, I was, you know, I was just like, look, you know, this is something that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on. I'm going to, I'm going to work on something and then let's talk about it. And, um, and so, um, yeah, just, just came up with the name of field ethos and we, I just started putting things on paper, um, and kind of modeling out like how this would look, how it would feel to the end user, um, you know, where we would reach these people, best way to communicate with these people. Um, and just built out the model of what field ethos is, has sort of become. And then I called Don and I was like, Hey, um, you know, this is, this is what it, this is what I'm going to do. Like, and this is what it looks like. Would you want to be in some kind of advisory role? Um, you know, on the board as an advisory role, because Don has so much media experience he and I, I feel like we see things the same way. Uh, we're both very unapologetic in who we are. Um, and so just like having him as part of the field ethos conversation, I felt like would really help us develop, um, because of his insights. And and he said, no, he's like, I, I don't want to be on some kind of advisory board. I want to do this with you. Um, and I was like, perfect. So yeah. Um, so then we were kind of, we were off and we started, you know, putting up content on social, putting up content online, um, starting, starting, you know, just a a brand with a different look and feel than what everybody else was doing. Unapologetic is kind of in our DNA. Mm -hmm. And so if you experience our brand, uh, everything will be, you, you will walk away going, man, these guys don't care. Like they, they are not, they, they're not here to to win liberal hearts and minds. These guys are just, they're dudes being dudes and they're not going to apologize for it. And you're saying, you're saying it how it is. You're, you're uh-huh. saying it how, it, how it really is, which is, which I, I love. Like it's, I, I always say you're bold, but you're honest, which is what is, yeah. I mean, you know, this it's, it's highly needed in our outdoor industry. 
I feel like it is, you know, it's like, there's so many, so many ways to undermine, um, what, what you and I love and what we're trying to, to leave for our kids. Right. There are a million different ways to undermine that and, and, um, and erode, erode this lifestyle of ours. Um, and it, it can be the smallest thing, but like, to me, these, these, these small things that people are doing over the long run completely change the future of, of the, of, of our lifestyle. Like it's very simple. Like if you make people, if you convince people that they need to use the word harvest instead of kill, and that's something we've harped on since the beginning, mm-hmm. like you're, you're using that word because you're trying not to look like a killer, right? Because saying that you kill something is harder to digest than, than, than saying you harvested it. Right. Um, but the reality is, is we did just kill something. We did just take something's life and, and it was, it was quick, but it was violent for a second. And, um, and you know, that, that's just what we, what we do. Um, and you know, if we, if we, what is it, what happens if we kind of sanitize this thing with these words and change the message over time? Is it wrong to use the word harvest? No, but it just weakens and plays into these people's hands that, that want to take it away from us. Mm -hmm. The more we do that, the more we sanitize this stuff and kind of cower and and shock um, and it's through those, it's through those small things over time that, it, that, that will cause it, um, making hunters look like they only hunt for food, you know, like this is my, this is my brand. It presents hunting as only something to be done for food yeah. for your family. Well, I, I completely disagree with messaging hunting in that way. Uh, because then, it, because then people say, well, if, if you're not going to, if, if you don't need the food, then you shouldn't be hunting. Right. Yep. Um, and then they could look at me and you and go, okay, these guys are relatively successful guys. They don't, they can go buy food at the store. Why, why do they need, why do they need to, to, um, go kill something to, to, you know, to hunt, Mm -hmm. they don't need, they don't need the meat. And then you and I can say, well, we do it because it's clean protein for our families, which is what, what these, um, meat hunters. And I only hunt because I, because I want food for the table. They, then they say, well, I want the cleanest protein I can get for my family. Well, hell, I can introduce you to honor, uh, Anya Fernald in California, who is commercially raising some of the healthiest meat on the planet in a commercial application. Mm-hmm. And, and so these things are all like these, these ways that people are segmenting themselves and, and using it as the reason for hunting. I, I get that. Like you, and I, I believe your reasoning, like what it is, is you start with one thing and you start sanitizing it down so much. You start going down this rabbit hole to where they start, yep. they start catching you and you're like, we say harvest and it's meat. And now it's the cleanest protein. Well, you're so far down the rabbit hole at this point, there's no pulling back. Like you can't, if there's no pulling back, you can't, pull let, me, back. let me explain it in like a completely different analogy. Um, and it's, it's kind of the opposite direction. Um, but, it, but it, I, I've always felt like it was my way of illustrating what happens when the snowball starts rolling. Right. Um, and so, uh, in like the sixties, I believe it was in the sixties or late fifties. Um, they would not show Elvis on television below the waist because of the way he danced. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if Elvis was on like the the Tonight Show or whatever performing on on TV, you only saw Elvis from the waist up because it was too racy to show him from the waist down and how he was shaking his ass. Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. it was just too much, like too much for the culture. So they wouldn't even show it. And then at some point, somebody said, "Well, that's not too much, right?" Um, and they said, "Let's show Elvis dancing." Right. Yep. And, and you and I would look at that and be like, that's 100 percent fine. Like, perfect. Yeah. Well, that they made a decision to go ahead and start showing that. And then at some point, somebody said, hey, we can also show this and we can also show that to the point where things have gone over a period of 60 years to where now people are screwing on television, on network television. Right. Yep. Like um, so that is what happened. That is how snowballs work. You go in, in, in either direction. Right. So. You, you get these snowballs forming and then you scratch your head in 2022 and we go, how did this end up on TV that my kids had access to? How did they, how yeah. did they end up learning about this from television? Well, it started, it started 50 years ago when they showed Elvis dancing below the waist and people don't see that. There's these small, small incremental decisions that lead us to these places 50 years down the road. And if you can, if you can stop those from happening, mm-hmm. let's stop these apologies in hunting. Let's stop. Let, let's let's stop this snowball of us having to give up ground uh, and sanitize our message to please these other people. Because what I can tell you is going to happen in 50 years. There's going to be some guy on the only hunt you're allowed to do in the United States, some, some specific hunt that the government allows with, mm-hmm. a, with a bow or with whatever they've dictated that you, you're, you're allowed to now do. And he's going to be wondering how we got here and how all these rights of ours have been taken away. And, and he's going to be able to look back and go, well, hell, they gave them away. They, they started watering down their message and they started shying away from this stuff. And, and then hunters, hunters lost strength. And, um, and, and now 50 years later, hunters have no strength. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, I, maybe that, maybe that doesn't make sense to some people, but it just makes sense to me. Like we, we can't allow this, this snowball, this weakening of hunting thing to snowball. Uh, and if we don't stop it in its tracks now, if, if groups like field ethos don't stand up and be like, Hey, we don't give a shit what you think about what we do. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, like, we don't care what you think about it. We're going to do it. It's part of our lifestyle. It's, it's part of a lifestyle that that hunters have enjoyed for since the beginning of time, since the beginning of mankind. Mm-hmm. Hunters have been hunting, and it's been um, it's been an adventure. It's been a way for men to connect with one another. Um, yes, it's been a way to put food on the table. Um, it's it's all of these things, um, and they're all important for for those of us who just value that connection to nature, like. We, we want to experience nature the same way they did a million years ago. And so all of these things are important to us. And, and I refuse to, to give up any ground there and to water, water down and apologize for it. Yeah, I love that. I love that message in the, in the brand. I think, and there are more people that agree with you. If you've watched how your brand's grown, like I watched from the outside of, of how it's, it's grown rapidly, really, there's a large amount of people that agree with you that you can't, we can't keep going down this rabbit hole of sanitizing and, and, really giving a weak message and I've seen, so I've been in the outdoor industry 10 years and I've just noticed what it's been like over 10 years from when I started of what was generally accepted from partners or whoever you work with in the outdoor industry to what you can say now. And it is almost a 180 of what you can get away with. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the issue you hit it. Yeah, and that's only, to, that's only a period of 10 years. Yeah. 
and, and just think about what the next 10 years is going to be like if we continue down yep. this path. And that kind of yep. brings up so our, like you live, I mean, you live and breathe just like me in the, in the outdoor industry. What's your opinion on social media? What's it done to the hunting community as a whole? Oh man. Uh, I would say, um, mostly negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got people that, that run a really clean, um, like, like you, for example, um, you run a really clean, uh, way of, of showing hunting, um, for, you know, it's fun. You're showing trophy hunting, you're showing all the ins and outs of yep. hunting and you're doing it in a way that's not irresponsible. Right. Yep. Like there, there are, there are kills that you and I have made in the field that we know should not, should not be shown on video because it's not always clean, right? Yeah. It's not always, um, it, it, it's a bad look and yep. it, it happens, right? Like we, we, it happens to every hunter. Um, you, you have unrecovered game, you have all these things that, you know, no hunt is perfect yep, and exactly. some hunts are far less perfect than others, but you're responsible with the way you show hunting. Um, and then you have, you know, 18, 19, 45 year olds showing people hitting geese in, in the head with a bat in the exactly. middle of a field. Um, you know, whether that was, whether that was a quick humane death or not, doesn't matter because you have just, you have just given everybody a reason to attack us at that point, because you showed the messy side that we sometimes have to go through mm-hmm. that again, not apologizing for it, but there are some things that happen in the field that I'm not going to show you because it, it, it does nothing. It does no good for hunting for me to show you some of these things. And, and I, like, I cringe when I see a lot of what's on, what's on the hunting side of social media. Yep. Um, you know, it, there is a there is a common misconception um, that hunter all hunters are careless rednecks are just bloodthirsty rednecks right mm-hmm. um, and that that couldn't be further from the truth you, there's guys like you and I out there um, that that do our best to be successful in the field and represent hunting in a way that um, that we can hold our heads high and be like, yeah, like I'm not going to apologize for what I just did there, but I did the best job I could. And I showed it in a way to where people should be able to understand it. They don't have to agree yeah. with it, but they should at least be able to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and then there's things I see on social media that like, there's no excuse for somebody doing it. Um, you know, there's absolutely no excuse for somebody doing that or showing that. And, but it's sensational, right? Mm-hmm. So they post it. Because they know it's going to get a reaction. The bigger the reaction, the better, right? Like exactly. on social media, um, you, know, you want it to be viral. You, you want it to be viral. You want it, You want you want the algorithm to to identify that it's being shown to a lot of people and to pick it up. And um, it it's. I feel like social media is is one of the worst things that could have happened to hunting, mm-hmm. um, and which is why I also think it's one of the most important things that companies like mine and yours can engage in um and people think that because i'm good at running a social media uh presence that i like it i don't i don't like social media um you know you never see you rarely ever see a a picture of me and our social media yep um 
And it's because I'm just kind of uncomfortable being out there like that. Um, but it's, it's also something where I'm like, it's absolutely necessary for guys like us to be, to be there um, showing, showing it in a different and better way than, than what I think some other people are doing. So we have to do it, yeah, whether exactly. we like it or not. Um, but I think it's been, I think it's been mostly, mostly detrimental. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that because a lot of people that are out there are just that, that shock and awe. If I can get shock and awe, it'll spike my online presence and I'll get more followers or, or more likes or anything like that. So the more outrageous thing that I can do or that I can show in the outdoor world will get me these, even though it's for the completely wrong reason. And I mean, just like social media, it'll represent the 1% of the people that are out there doing it and give everybody a black eye for it. Like it, and and come deer season, you start flipping through and you get on social media and you look at stuff and you're like, Oh my gosh, what is, what is this? Who would actually do that? And that's where I just, I, I, just like you, I focus extremely hard on, on the brand that I represent, but also on our social media of, listen, not everything is, is perfect in hunting because it's completely wild. You can't control it. You're not, you're not walking into a set event that you can control, but with everything I do, I try to explain the reasoning in the, and the why behind. So if something goes good in the field, this is why. If I'm hunting in Africa, if like when I went elephant hunting in Africa, listen, I already knew going into that, that 50% of the people that follow me on social media aren't going to agree with it because they don't understand. There's, there's been nobody that has told yeah. the story of correctly of why. Okay. The yeah. going in there and like, here's, here's uh, like, you talk about that rabbit hole. How do you go down the rabbit hole? I hunted the elephant for the meat to give to the locals. Okay, that's part of the story. You can't make that your whole thing. So now you, you say that story. And now everybody believes that, okay, the only reason an elephant's harvested is because it goes the meat to the locals. And yep. if, you, if you don't do that, well, then why, why are you looking for the biggest bull? And you, you're down this rabbit hole. So people over the last 15, 20 years have started to go down this rabbit hole. I'm here and I'm, I'm giving the meat. Listen, that's a great part of the story. And, and the most heartwarming, touching, like true emotional feelings I've ever had in the field has been in Africa when we've gone into villages and given meat away. So don't get me, yeah. don't, don't, don't sidetrack me on that. Like that, that's truly part of it, but you can't say that's why I traveled on 30 yeah. hours on an airplane to get over there so I could go and do this. No, tell, tell the whole story. It's a great byproduct. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome byproduct. It's the same thing here for people that, that deer hunt in the U S okay. So somebody that loves hunting and they go out there and they understand true deer management. And guess what? You, a lot of areas like here in Michigan, we're overrun with does. Like our deer population is too high. We have too many does. So I know guys that go out, will shoot 10, 12, 15 does in a season. And you can say that's for, for meat, but listen, nobody's eating 15 deer throughout the year. So there's some of these that get donated, but guess what? They get donated to, to, um, meat shelters and so forth like that. So it's going to people that actually need it again, a great byproduct of it. Yeah. Don't make that don't that, that can't be the whole story. Is I'm that going to be the definition. That, that's that not the definition. That's not the definition. Tell the tell the whole complete story and guess what? Even when you you do your best in in like you think you told that story completely the way that you wanted to like it represented everything that you had in your heart and soul emotional wise, everything that's affected in the area, the byproducts of it, the, like your after effects. You you can tell that story perfectly and guess what? On social media, you're not going to get everybody to agree with you. No, if you, if you no. Have, and 
it, it like that part is what it is, but just like represent it correctly. Go into it and like this is what it is, but represent it correctly. Like you can go off on a 180 and say, I want to go and get a bunch of followers. I'm going to do it this way. And what yeah, are you, what are you tell, doing it for then? You're doing it for the wrong reason. I tell people all the time, like, stop, stop making these excuses. Like, um, I hunt for meat because I can show you, I can show you, um, great ways to get really good, healthy meat, right. Yep. Uh, that have nothing to do with hunting. Don't tell me you hunt because you're a conservation conservationist. I can show you plenty of conservation projects that were a benefit to the local ecosystem and to, to those animal populations that did not involve hunting. Mm-hmm. Like there, are, there, there are meat wins out there for you that don't involve hunting. There are conservation wins out there for you that don't involve hunting. Stop using those as, as your definition. I tell people meat is a great byproduct of hunting, but mm-hmm. it's not why I go conservation is a great byproduct of me being a responsible sportsman it's not why why i'm out there okay i'm out there because i'm a hunter because i was born a hunter because my ancestors were hunters and because i grew up with a need to hunt like a personal need to go okay i want to be outdoors i want to participate in these things i don't know why but i do feel like life isn't complete for me if i'm not doing these things okay and and you know because it's just part of my genetic code um, you know, mankind exists because of hunters. And, and, and so we, everybody on this planet has a hunter in their DNA. Not everybody, not everybody feels a connection to that, but everybody is here because one of their ancestors was a hunter and a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you and I happen to be connected to that, to whatever is, to, to whatever is in our genetic code. We're, we're connected to those hunters that came before us and we can't explain why we love it right? We we love being outdoors. We love the adventure, but it's, you know, I don't understand why somebody likes golf. You know, I, I I can't wrap my head around that. Maybe you were born to be a golfer. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's in your genetic code. I don't know, but I can tell you this, like I was born to be a hunter. And if I didn't hunt or I didn't fish or I didn't go on these adventures, my life would not, I, I would not feel like I was living a fulfilled life. And so use that as your articulation for why you do it and yep. explain the conservation wins, explain, you know, tell people about what a great meal you just fed your neighbors, whatever. That's great. Mm-hmm. Don't use that is why you go because there are a million ways to argue against those things. Yep. You can't, you can't argue with me that our ancestors were hunters and that, and that there is a, that, that I have a connection to my ancestors through that. There's no argument against that. That's fact. Yep. So, you know, it's, I don't know. It, the, the whole, the, those things we need to stop using as our basis for hunting and, and stop packaging them in, in those ways because we think people will attack us just for saying that we love to hunt because, because it's inside us and because it's in our DNA. And, and yeah, we take, we take lives in the field uh, because it's just, because we're drawn to it. Yeah. That's exactly why I do it though. Mm-hmm. No, that's And it's said perfectly, perfectly in my opinion. So obviously digital, so big in everybody's everybody's lives now but with that at field ethos like you guys have a a a great social presence like again you guys say your brand you're unapologetic like everything we're talking about today is is how you represent your brand what made you go with still going with a print magazine so i love print magazines Mm -hmm. man like um you know i grew like i said my granddad printed national geographic so like um i had 
every National Geographic magazine going back years and years. Uh, you know, so from from the time I was born, like when I was working on school projects as as an elementary school kid, like you know, and you had to put a collage together. I had a I had a, a sea of National Geographics that I could go through and and make these cool projects out of stuff coming out of that magazine because my granddad had them. Um, and so I grew up with a magazine in my hand. He was a, he, he was, he subscribed to sporting classics the first year that sporting classics was out mm -hmm. and which happened to be the year I was born. Um, and so I grew up in national geographic with sporting classics with outdoor life. Like I grew up with those magazines and reading those magazines, and seeing these stories from all over the world and just like dreaming about one day doing those things myself. And I love having a magazine. I, I love that. And I buy, I buy books and magazines. And one of, one of the reasons I still buy print books, and I, if I like a print book, or here's, here's what often happens. I'll read something on my, I'll read a book on my Kindle, and then I'll buy the book uh, in print format uh -huh. um, so that I can give it to somebody, right? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, why am I even, why am I even, buying them both ways why don't i just buy them in print uh -huh. and read them and if i like them then i give it to somebody uh but because to me like if you enjoy a book it ought not just go on your shelf you should give it to somebody else to read it um and you can't do that with i mean you can send somebody a digital link or whatever mm -hmm. um and maybe they'll open up or maybe they'll read it but if you actually physically give somebody a magazine there's a good chance they're going to go home and they're going to open it and they're yeah. going to read through it and look at it and so I love that tangible product that like you can give it to somebody as a gift or you can set it on your coffee table and a guest can pick it up and read it. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's a different experience. Like everybody is losing touch with, with reading. And one of the reasons we, we, um, we do what we do. Like I said from the beginning, I want field ethos online articles to be in between the length of a social media post and a print print article, mm -hmm. right? Like the world is becoming more ADD. Um, and nobody's hardly reading anymore. They're getting their, they're getting all of their material off of an app. Uh, all their reading is coming off of an app, whether mm -hmm. it's Fox news or CNN news or, um, Instagram, you know, a, a lot of young people, they don't even, they don't even read, they don't even read the news on an app. They they're getting their news on social media, which is a whole nother can of worms, but picture in a sentence at a time. Dude, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just, it's, which is terrible. So, um, but I knew that the attention span from people my age and younger just didn't exist the same way that it did when, when I was a kid. Um, so we made our articles all three to five minute reads online so that, you know, and, and we tell you that before you open it, this is a five minute read. So, you know, like when you get your email, like, Hey, there's, there's this five minute read, but I just want people to keep reading. You know, I'm, I was talking to, to, um, somebody this morning about, you know, our kids and, and, uh, one of my kids is kind of struggling with his reading. And I'm like, you know, I tell my kids all the time, if you, if you're a good, if you're a strong reader, there's nothing you can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so nobody's reading anymore. And I, I wanted to do, I wanted, I wanted something longer form than, uh, the website. And it was something that Don and I had plans for on day one was, um, eventually getting a print magazine out there. So we knew that from, from day one. Um, and we just had to do it in reverse every, all the other, you know, outdoor life field and stream, whatever, all those magazines, they were print magazines that, that had to go figure out digital. And mm -hmm. most of them didn't. 
like most of them didn't figure out digital well and those companies have struggled because of it so a lot of your older magazines they have you know they're dying they're yep. withering they're losing subscribers yep. whereas we're gaining subscribers every single day online and in print um we're, we're trending in the exact opposite direction because we started our company as a digital brand um and and became profitable as a digital brand before we ever even before we ever sent the first magazine out the door and and i will say our magazine is not something that we consider a revenue stream for us uh we want it to be something that doesn't lose money and mm -hmm. it from the first issue did not lose money um we, we we did well with the first issue but our goal is not to have the print magazine as our as some it, it's never going to be some cash cow for us it, I mean, it, it will never be a significant area of revenue for us, but um, we want it. We want it to be able to survive uh, on its own and not cost us money. And we were able to do that. It's just something that we felt like we wanted to do, um, and that we wanted people to be able to experience because our brand is kind of a nod to the older way of doing doing things and the older uh, messaging of hunting and and the older ideals that our granddads had. Um, so we felt like print was an important component of offering that with a mag with a brand that we felt like um, was trying to head in the opposite direction of everybody else. And, yeah. and and so coming out with a print magazine was a step a step in that direction. It's the opposite of what a lot of people are doing. And like um, everything you guys do, I mean, the magazine turned out fantastic. If anybody that dude, hasn't hasn't looked at it, you guys got to check out the Field Ethos magazine. Like, and there is something about same thing as having a book, something having in your hand flipping the pages, looking at the pictures, reading the article. There's something, it brings you closer to it than if you're reading it on your phone. Like I've tried, yeah. I've me personally, I've tried reading a book on my phone. I can't do it. It's like, yeah. I can't get over the fact that I feel like I'm reading a news article, even though I'm flipping and this thing could be 400 pages, something about having it in my hand. So like all the trips I go on, I've got a hard copy book. Everybody's like, why don't you just do it on your phone? And I'm like, listen, even if I'm in the stand, like I'll deal with the bulkiness because I can't, like I'll, I'll engage in it and take something away from it versus just being on my phone. Yeah. I'm going to forget it as soon as I flip to the next page. Not to mention we're all going to go blind from looking at oh. our phones. Yeah. I, I like the best times I have now are when I'm in a back country somewhere or no signal and I don't have my phone and, and I come back after being gone a week and I get the, the, the usage report and your usage has gone down 600% and you're on your phone for eight minutes a day. And I'm like, yeah, listen, that's yeah. how it sh that's how it should be. And then I come yeah. back into civilization, and all of a sudden, you're, you starts going up again. And you're like, I, I make a purposely point of trying not to use my phone all the time. But all of a yeah. sudden, you're you're everybody communicates via text and and responding to stuff on DMs and social media. All of a sudden, it starts going up, and it's like, where do you find this balance of too much, not enough? I can live with this and be happy. Like that's that's a continuous, continuous one for me. So besides yeah, like, sure. you've guys got print online. I know you got podcast films, like take a second, tell tell us about like ev everywhere that field ethos as a brand goes out. Like where, where do you find all yeah. your content? So, um, we, we have a lot of fun on Instagram. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We have a Twitter account that I don't think we've ever posted from, but with the recent news with Elon Musk, <laughs> Uh, actually making Twitter a true free speech platform. If he pulls it off, you will find us on Twitter for sure. Um, we have, uh, we, we took our podcast off of iTunes and Spotify um, and they live at fieldethos.com and you'll see the podcast link there. Um, now what you'll see there are audio only podcasts um, that we recorded a while back. We have started recording the new season um, in studio in Florida 
Uh, and we are doing those uh, video. We're doing video podcasts. Okay. Um, and we will. We we have a deal with with uh, a group that is going to host the video version of that. And we're going to announce that soon. We want we want to announce that right before they drop. Um, but one thing that was important to me was to make sure that our podcast could always be experienced for free with no financial barrier to entry. Yep. Um, so. You will be able to watch the video uh, of us in studio doing the podcast um, in this in this new area that we'll make an announcement about soon. But you will always be able to listen to the Field Ethos podcast for free um, at fieldethos.com. Oh, cool. So um, the new yeah the new episodes are in edit right now. We've got eight completed. Um, they're they're editing those and then ripping the audio down so that we can post them on uh, on our podcast player on the website. Uh, and then, yeah, print. Uh, we're working on some field ethos uh, film projects um, that, you know, we, we have an idea for a cool series. Um, and we'll see how, you know, we're, we're, an, we're a team of guys that have wild ideas. Um, and it's, you know, I do, I do need to mention every single person on our team because we've got the most kick-ass team in the well, industry, in my opinion. Well, that's perfect because I 100% wanted to go over it because the depth – of your team and the knowledge and truthfully, like it's an all-star team. Dude, it is like, I'm a big team guy, right? Like you build the right team. Uh, you have the right team. You can do anything. I, you know, my, my, I came from a weird law enforcement background before I got into the hunting industry and, and, um, was used to working on a team. And, um, and so I believe in building the best team. If you build the best team, you can get just badass results. So, um, me and Don, who we've already talked about, uh, and then we have um, Dave Etter, uh, who we brought on to be our CEO, who is is the ultimate uh, at herding the cats, right? Yep. Like keeping everybody uh, focused and and moving in the right direction. Um, and he is he is the world's funniest human being. Um, he's Dave is awesome. Uh, so that's Dave Etter. Uh, then Colin Jones, who came on like day one with us almost. Um, Colin played nine years in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers. He was team captain of the Carolina Panthers. Um, he was a safety, ran a four three forty, um, just a absolute stud of a human being. Well, Colin, when he was in college, like he Colin's a very realistic type of person. He didn't, he never, it, like his plan was not to go play NFL ball. Um, he didn't think that was an option. Um, so he was planning on going to law school and taking his LSAT and all that stuff. And, and then had a, just a lights out, um, senior year and, um, ended up playing nine years in the NFL and, and, and is a very well-respected person in that community because he's a natural born leader. Um, and Colin came on as our CFO. The guy's got a brilliant mind for, um, for business and for numbers and for, for tracking and budgeting. And he's, he's just that dude's a freak. Um, he's he's one of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life. Colin's another um, one that I want to get on the podcast. Just the the stories, and he he is he's amazing. I, I've had the opportunity to meet with him and, and text him occasionally. Like he's yeah. an amazing guy that I think once you get to to loosen him up a little bit and hear the stories that he he has is I mean he's a great one to have on your team. He is the dude that like he's the dude that you want your kids seeing. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you want your kids paying attention to guys like Colin. Um, because he's, in my opinion, like the guy's top performance and everything, being a dad, being a husband, being a businessman. Um, he's a Christian. He's just, he's just 
dude, the guy is just firing on all cylinders. Yep. Um, so he is awesome. And, and, um, like could not have a better CFO than Colin. Uh, we've got Mike Scobie, um, who was the group publisher for OSG. Um, sorry, OSG for <laughs> coaching him from you guys. Um, but Mike is, he is a legend in our industry. He is the guy that everybody has wild stories about being with Mike, doing something wild, doing something funny. Everybody loves Scobie because he's so much fun. Like I literally, after the, when we first talked to Scobie, it was not, it, we, we were not looking at hiring Scobie. We didn't like, it never even occurred to us that that could be an option. Uh-huh. Well, we were talking to Scobie about possibly some crossover between uh, some projects we were working on. And it was the first time I ever talked to him. And I ended up talking to him for like an hour, hour and a half. And I got off the phone. And I was like, we have got to hire that guy. <laughs> Like he is, he's just way too cool and, and way too much fun for us not, not to work together. And it was funny. Like he, he, he called Dave after the call too. And he was like, Hey, um, kind of interested in what you guys are doing. So it just like really worked out. Scobie is our, um, he is our, uh, chief operations officer and he is in charge of all of our, um, media partnerships. So any of our brand and not media partnerships with brand partnerships. Mm-hmm. So, um, Leupold, Leica, Springfield, Sig Sauer, um, uh, Federal, um, every, like, you know, we work with a bunch of companies. He's, he is in charge of all of those relationships and he's the perfect guy for that. He's legendary for being able to manage those relationships and, and those companies liking him and knowing that he will deliver on what he promises. Yep. Um, we got Jeff Johnston, who is our brand editor. Jeff, Jeff is, um, a career writer and editor um and just a really awesome dude great hunter um turkey ninja um hunted all over the world just really cool guy super talented at um sourcing content editing content um and you know his his value system like you have to have an editor that has the same values has the same outlook on what we're doing as we do because he's the one in charge of going and getting content that you're reading. Um, and so it has to be on brand for us. And, and so that's not an easy find. Um, and Jeff was, Jeff was kind of the perfect guy for that. Um, and, uh, and we've just made two new hires that, um, that I will certainly talk about, uh, talk about soon. Um, but that is, that is the field ethos team. Um, you know, it's, it's guys that I couldn't, couldn't imagine doing this without um and it's guys that i think are irreplaceable oh, that's a, um that's for a, each 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 role that's a heck of a team so just briefly go over the the writers and contributors that you guys have too because like i i look at the like that's your main team but you really have a, a secondary team being in contributors for you and we do i mean you pick we you pick great people all around the board to contribute it's just not any random person that you've got coming in here it's it's literally experts in the field yeah we've got alan bowen is our archery editor um he is uh, a world-class bow hunter um holds a lot of uh of pope and young and boone and crockett records um and and he's just very proficient um we've got pat hemingway adams who's ernest hemingway's great grandson um and pat had never actually written an article until i pushed him to write one and he sent some i was like hey write us something and you know we'll put it out digitally on the website 
And he's like, well, I guess I could give it a try. You know, he does, he does like uh, licensing for the Hemingway name. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, I guess I can give it a try. And he sends me something and I read it and I called him. I was like, shit, dude, like we can't put this on the website. And he was like, why not? I was like, dude, it's too good. Like it's too good to have it go up on the website and get shuffled down and for somebody not to see it the next week. Yep. Like this needs to be in print. Um, and so, and then he just kept, kept writing and everyone seems to be better than the last. And the first one was incredible. So, um, we've got guys like Pat and, and we have, uh, Gain Young who, who writes fun profiles. Gain is exceptional. He, he ran, uh, Dallas Safari clubs magazine for a while. Um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a bunch of really cool contributors. I, I like you say that we've got guys that, that weren't, weren't random they don't some of them don't appear random but were random two of my favorite writers that we've got um we found on instagram well three of them really we found on they're they're we found josh kwong on instagram he's a high school english teacher in mississippi half Mm -hmm. chinese or quarter chinese um and just a just kind of like a true um a true culture story win for hunters right like his grandparents came over here from china um so his dad his his dad um that was first generation american um and taught himself how to hunt and then taught josh how to hunt um and so it's a really cool story of his, his family coming over from from china and and assimilating to the mississippi culture which is pretty funny um and that that story is actually in print volume one um it's called american coon tales really cool uh and then we have andrew wilson which is um he's he's a high school art teacher in california and he's a big game hunter in california that dude's just incredible artist and writer and um a, a lot of what you and jess mclaughlin uh jess is a female fly fishing guide uh that that is also a photographer and a writer and and um, has worked on media projects all over the world. And, um, she's one of my favorite writers right now. She's, she's got really cool perspective, very unapologetic female voice, um, can hold her own in any, any atmosphere, any conversation. She's just a badass chick. Um, so yeah, like I, I love that we are publishing, um, you know, unpublished writers that we, that we have found. We're giving a voice to those people and, and highlighting their talent. I, like, I love that. That's one of my favorite no, parts awesome. of the brand. So as you guys, like, and you guys cover so many topics, but what are, like, when, when you guys go into the room and are like, all right, next next magazine, because I know you guys got to be working on number two already. Yeah, the, the it's next, almost done. Yeah, next one. When you guys go in there and start throwing stuff on the board, like, what are, what are some of the topics you guys look to cover? How does that thought process come through of this is what we want to do on our next one? Yeah, um, we want to always show hunting as an adventure, mm-hmm. um, whether that's, uh, you know, adventures that you and I have been lucky enough to go on in Africa or Europe or wh- wherever, right? Um, it doesn't always have to be that. Um, you know, we want a story about you hunting 10 miles outside of, outside of town um, and a story that's in, that, that when someone reads it, it makes them want to go do that. Right. So not every adventure has to mean that you you flew for 12 hours to get somewhere. You can drive 10 minutes up the road and have a really kick ass adventure. Um, The trick is, is is writing it in a way that's compelling to where somebody goes, man, like he did that right up the road from his house. I want to go do that. Mm -hmm. It's the same same formula is 
writing something about hunting in some far corner of the world to where some kid like me when I was a kid reads it and goes, I have to do that one day. Um, so that is, that is the ultimate goal. It's just to inspire people to take part in our lifestyle. Um, you know, I, I see field ethos is, is not a hunting brand, not a fishing brand. Um, and, and it more of a lifestyle adventure brand yeah, or adventure lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the articles that we pick for field ethos, um, are, you know, they need to be unapologetic. They need to fit the adventure lifestyle. They need to be inspiring to others. They need to, they need to honestly just be, be a, a space for guys like us where we feel like it's not, you know, field ethos isn't somebody, somebody was kind of contrasting us with modern huntsmen. They're like, yeah, well, they're really good because, you know, they, they, they're trying to educate everybody. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, let them do that. Yep. That's not us. Mm-hmm. We're not here to educate you. In my opinion, field ethos is better for the person that's already subscribed to our way of life. It's better for the Mark Petersons than it is for um, the the hipster that has just, you know, watched a watched a hunting show yep. on 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 Netflix or Amazon or wherever Meteor lives, and and goes, well, I want to, uh, you know, I want to do that, you know. Yeah, field. You know, great if they come come take part in what we're doing. We we encourage that, but it, we're we're not really for them. We're for the Mark Petersons of the world. We're for the we're for, for the people that are already subscribing to um, our way of life, and and we need that. We need a place where we're we're true hunters, anglers. You know, people that love adventure. They need a place where they they feel like they already belong there. You know, um, and so that's that's what we do, and that's what our print our print journal um hopes to accomplish and and i will say it's also very unapologetically masculine you know uh we have 25 you know 24.3 percent of our following is on online and and on social um is female which we dude i love it i love that we have it's and and i'll tell you this it's because women love seeing women love not being like placated yep they just want to be treated like they're one of us yeah, exactly right yep. you're not a huntress you're not a female hunter you're just a hunter you're just, you're a just hunter. like us mm-hmm. like you do, you fit in with us like we don't need to create a safe space for you because you, we are you you are us like yep there's one one spot and it's for all of us and mm-hmm. we're not going to delineate some area for you uh and they love that women women have really latched on to our brand and i'm really really happy about that um, you know, we, we do, we do feature female writers and female contributors and, and we're super lucky to have them like, like Jess, super lucky to have her. Um, but we have not said, Hey, you need to, you need to write an article for women. It's that's not what we're doing. We're, we're including women in what we're doing, but we're not catering to yeah, exactly. Um, and so it does, we do, we do have kind of an unapologetic masculine feel to what we're doing. Um, and that, that's just because we're unapologetic masculine dudes. And so that's what we're putting out. Um, so that's, that's, it's, it is a little bit of a a hodgepodge of content in our magazine, but we want it to be like, Dave told me that his accountant loves field ethos and that he's never hunted or fished a day in his life, but he loves field ethos because he can relate to the brand because there's something here for him. Right. And again, Um, like if you think about him on a day to day though, I mean, how many things can he not be his, true self because he's probably in a corporate setting 
Yeah. He's, he's restrained, and all of a sudden you come over to the field ethos brand, and again, it's unapologetic. You can be you yep. can be yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. So um, that's that's how we operate. That's how we'll continue to operate, and um, and there's a lot of growth for us there. No, that's great. So I know. Um, I'm excited to hear the announcement when you guys come out on on the podcast you guys are recording. I've I've heard some rumors yeah. of what's going on there. I'm excited to actually hear. Well, you know, I yeah. think I think I've I've, I've given you. I, I I tell you stuff that I wouldn't tell yep. most people. Yep, exactly. Um, so so you know what we have up our sleeve, and and uh, we're excited about that. So is there is there anything else that you want to let listeners know that you guys have got coming up or have planned just to to plan for get excited about? Dude, I'm just waiting on you to invite me on one of your cool trips. Like I, I tell people all the time, um, just what a solid and nice dude you are. Um, one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry. Um, you know, you get it. You get the lifestyle. You, you, you get the, you get the message. It's who you are. Like you, you are very indicative of of who we put ourselves out there to be. Um, and so I'm just looking forward to uh, to you and I getting out there. And, and um, we've been, you know, we're both busy dudes. We've talked about getting it done soon, mm-hmm. and, and we'll we'll try to get it done this year and next year. But um, I want to be there the next time you uh, you put an elephant on the ground. There you go. Um, we, we definitely so need to get it on the books and and stop talking about it and just get it done. We do. I'll yeah. tell you one of the coolest things that that you've done, um, in my opinion. I mean, you've taken you you've done all kinds of world class hunting trips, but what an accomplishment you're. Uh, your your waterfowl slam was and it was it was a grind on that one that one that's a tough thing to pull off yeah but i have to admit like talking about people don't understand this about waterfowl hunting that aren't waterfowl hunters the conditions that you subjected yourself to to be able to do that are the most some of the most miserable conditions on earth day in day out freezing cold and wet um up early Go to bed late. I mean, it's dude. You talk about something that'll wear your ass out. And it's, it's trying to do, trying to, trying to pull off what you pulled off. And it did. And I tell everybody. So the difference, like I did the Upland Slam first, and then the waterfall. The difference was with the Upland Slam. If you're in the right area, you just have to keep going long enough. You got good. Like my dogs are are good. So you get going, and you'll eventually find what you're looking for. And yeah, you got to make a good shot. But that's one of those. If you're in the right area with waterfall hunting. Man, you know what? If you come to the area and you miss the storm, dude, the the ducks are gone. Like it, it's I over. Know, it's know. over. Like that, you just it. can't. That's you can't it. just stay there and be like, "I'm gonna grind one out." No, no, it's over. You missed yeah. it. You missed the flight. You gotta, you gotta bounce around. Like that was probably what I learned the the most. The difference between between those two. But what I like, I tell everybody, I learned a lot about myself in that. Like both the upland yeah. and the waterfall one. Not only that, like the education of going until you actually do it, you don't understand it. But yeah. like both of those, I'm a very goal oriented person and you kind of set this out and it's the adventure and the journey like that. That's what I found really gets me excited. It wasn't duck number 43, which couldn't have been like you couldn't have wrote the script better having to get yeah. from Greenland. They gave us uh, the green light to get in first Americans through since COVID to get in there. They, they gave like the whole story ended great and it wasn't it wasn't shooting the king that's like the bittersweet moment of it being over. It yeah. was, it was the journey yeah. it was meeting the people. It was the new places, the new lodges, the dogs, like the whole thing along the way. And I, like I got hooked on that versus yeah. just yeah, going, yeah. okay, this week, like what I did for the first eight years, I, like this week, I'm going to go elk hunting over here. This week, I'm going to go whitetail hunting. I'm going to go duck hunting over here. And they're like, 
all great experiences. But like yeah. this, you put it together, and it's this, it's this real path, this journey, this, this accomplishment at the end. And I just love the planning. I love, I love every part about it. And I just got, I got hooked to that. So I, I don't know. I've said it in a few places. So with coaching, my schedule is different now because I, I, I coach girls basketball of all things in middle school and high school here in Shelby for, for my daughter coming through. And it's like I, I found that that's a special connection. I, I won't change that. And I've only got six years left. And then all of a sudden we're empty nesters over here and like, you yeah. know how quick that'll go. So yeah. I've, ch- I've changed my schedule around to, to be here and, and, and do that and truthfully love it. So I can film during the summer, early fall. And I, I pick my spots to film now. So my next one I'm going on is the, the South American waterfall slam. So I actually, actually take off in three weeks to go to Argentina as the, as the first stop there, going to Peru and, and going to do the same thing down in, down in South America because I fell in love with it so much, the, the journey and the process of, of going to do it, that I'm like, man, I just want, I want to do it again. How do, how do I repeat it but do it somewhere else that I can educate along the way? Yeah. And that's, yeah. Like, I, like I can't wait to get started on, on that one because, again, it's – it's different down there. Like I'm learning from scratch because I've never waterfall hunted in South America before. So every time I go out over there, it's going to be a hundred percent learning for me. That's going to be awesome. Hey, when are we going to go do this? Um, this Mexico Turkey. So here I got, I got a story for you. So I didn't go Turkey hunting this year, but I went yeah. down there. I went down there to go bracket deer hunting and first day down there. Um, I mean, it's, it's always hot in the jungle down there. So it's like 96, 100% humidity, just sweating bullets. And you, and you hunt it in the Mashan, which anybody that's listening don't know. It's, it's basically handmade steps. They cut, cut trees down or branches or anything, hand tie them. You get up there and they, they have a hammock. So you sit in a hammock. Well, my hammock on day one was set that I was semi leaning on a tree. Like it was, it's uneven. So it's not like a tree stand here or elevated blind. Like you just go where the element is. So I went, I went elevated with it and nothing in the morning, went back, had lunch, kind of cooled off in the river. And I, I left in a t-shirt. Normally I always wear a long sleeve shirt in the jungle. Cause you never know what you're going to touch, rub against spiders, yada, yada, yada. But I got, I was sweating so much. I got into the hammock and I was sweating so much. I left my t-shirt on. Well, this hammock had me rubbing against this tree the whole time. And I got the worst allergic reaction from this tree. It didn't show up. That was Monday. Didn't show up Tuesday. But Wednesday, it started to show up on my arm, and it was basically from my bicep all the way down to my wrist. And by the time I got out of the jungle on Friday morning, I had these giant boils, and it basically covered 75% of my arm. So that was, that was my jungle experience this, this last time, which I'm all better now, but it's got me set to go back down there again. This time I will wear my long sleeve shirt, and I will carry some uh, allergy medicine with me as well. Dude, that's hardcore. Yeah, no, it's, it I was. My phone, I had my phone on mute for a second because I was getting in the car, but yeah, no, um, dude, it it, it that was, is rough. It, it was not how I was planning to to go out of that one. Put it that way. Yeah, but damn. I got one. I got one. Um, I know you. I know you got to run, and I got to run here. I got one last question for you. Do you yeah, still yeah. pinch yourself what the last couple of years has been like, and, and what you've got going now? Um, no. Ask me that recently. And I guess like, I guess I'm so close to it that I don't, you know, sometimes I'll stand back and look where we started and where we are now in kind of a short time. Um, but for me to say, like, I, I pinched myself, um, would, would almost be for me to say, I feel like we've made it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, um, I feel like it's a daily grind and we have so much we're still trying to do, um, that, 
I, I feel like if I said, yeah, I pinched myself, like it, it's some arrogant statement. Like, I feel like we've done something that we haven't yeah. done yet. Like we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Um, we're not influential enough. We're not like, we, we need to be reaching more people like every day. Um, because I feel like what we're doing is important and what we're offering is, is a break for guys like us, you know, like someplace they can go and be entertained and feel like, feel like they belong to a brand. Like people, I hate, I hate identity politics and all that shit these days, but there, there are, we get Mark, I'm not kidding. We get like probably 20 messages a day. Like, man, I love what you guys do. Like, so, so there are people that are finding us every day that they're like, man, like this is a company that like represents who I am. So we need to be re- reaching more people and, and bringing people in like that. And do, do I sometimes stand back and go, well, yeah, like this is how we started. This is where we are now, man. It's going good. Yeah, I do. Um, but it's never like a pinch me moment because I don't feel like we're anywhere close to being there yet. Um, you know, I, I am really excited about some of the apparel stuff we're working on. Um, and that's something that you and I need to have an offline conversation about. Um, we're, we're getting ready to do some, do some cool that's things awesome. there. And, and so we're going to make a splash, uh, on a couple, a couple different things before the end of the year cool. uh, that I'll fill you in on before we're ready to go public on some of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful. Um, I will say like, uh, it, it's kind of a field ethos has been a domino effect that if the right people didn't come along and be part of this project, it would have been dead in the water early on. Um, if we didn't get Colin when we did, um, we wouldn't have gotten here. If we didn't get Dave when we got him, uh, you know, we wouldn't have gotten here with Colin. And, 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 uh, if we didn't get Scobie when we did, we wouldn't have gotten here with Colin and Dave. And, mm-hmm. and like, it's like, dude, it's, it's been, uh, the only reason we have gotten where we have gotten, uh, the, the, the short ways that we have gotten so far, the short distance we've gone so far is because, Honestly, we got the right people, the, the, the key people in the key positions. And um, that is why we've made some forward progress, but we're nowhere close to being to reaching some goal or anything like that. So there hasn't been a real pinch me moment yet, but I am thankful. Um, I do look at look at, um, you know, the growth areas on digital and social and things like that. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool, you know, um, but uh, mostly I'm just happy that people take part in what we're doing like not not just guys like you but um the people that that found our that 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 one of their buddies got our email read an article and thought that they should send it to one of their friends Mm -hmm. and that friend read it and went who are these guys and then they started looking into our brand they're like damn they're just like me and started following us so yeah like when 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 i hear people say man i thank you guys for what you're doing it makes me feel like it's another person just like us that found us. And I'm like, I'm really happy about that. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, that's exactly right there. Why you guys have been so successful up to this point is that you're, you're looking in the future. You guys have been doing great, but you're like, we're not even close to being done yet, which just leads yeah, to the excitement not. of what, what, what the future has to hold with you guys, which, which I can't, I, I can't wait to see. I will say, I try to, I try to respond to every single direct message that comes into our social media. Um, and I think that is one reason people feel like they're part of our brand is because when they have a question, I try to answer it mm-hmm. when they, when, when they thank us, I try to thank them. Like we interact, we interact big time with our, our following and it's not just another brand. It's another brand where people feel like, you know, they're part of it. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, Jason, thank you for your time today. I can't wait to actually see you in person again at some point along the line. Yeah, let's do it soon. Sounds good. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.